American Giant makes great clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, and more right here in the U.S. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order with code STAPLE20. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com, code STAPLE20. What is up, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of It's Called Soccer, the U.S. Soccer Show. I'm your host, Jake, here in Philadelphia. I've been on sabbatical for three weeks taking care of my new baby, Theodore. Now I'm back ready to talk some soccer. Teddy is a little bit easier to take care of as well. So thank you to my wife for giving me an hour to record. But I'm joined as always by Tom. I think you're in Penn State right now and Ellie in Chattanooga, Tennessee. How are you guys? Tom, let's start with you. Okay, Um, I'm still in concussion protocol, which is not fun, but March Madness is on. It's been sort of a good time to rest and catch up on some basketball, some non-soccer sports. Uh, Shout out to my firm at Paladins for their first appearance in March Madness in 43 years and our first win in 49. It's been an exciting week uh, to be a Furman grad. So yeah, been a, been a fun time. I uh, can't wait to get out of the concussion protocol stuff though. Uh, the head still feels a little weird. What's the house life, Ellie? Doing pretty good. Um, just getting off a break from school. So coming, getting back to school strong next week. Um, but just Excited that the soccer season, um, at least lower league soccer season, is ramping back up. So we're starting to get more games and just exciting to see MLS back and everything kind of hitting full steam again. Yep. Last night, Red Bulls got their first win and shout out to the Princeton Tigers as well. I didn't go to Princeton, but it is my hometown team getting into the Sweet 16 as the 15th seed. So that's awesome to see. Everyone, we have some big topics to cover today on the podcast, the first of which is going to be the U.S. Soccer Federation's independent report on Greg Berhalter and what eventually became Claudio and Daniel Reyna. Then we have to talk about the Pulisic interview that he gave to ESPN, which it sounds like he gave some pretty big props and appreciation to Greg Berhalter. Then Bowler and Balligan was called into the England U21 setup and put out a pretty non-cryptic Instagram message saying that he should be appreciated more. And finally, the Nations League roster is out. We have matches against Granada and El Salvador in the next week. So let's get started on those. Let's start with the report, guys. And I'm going to be pretty gloves off with this one, honestly. I think the first things that I need to say are that Gio Reyna and Gio Reyna's parents Claudio and Danielle are two completely separate entities. So when we talk about the actions of Claudio and Danielle Reyna and Gio Reyna or Greg Berhalter in this episode, please take those as separate entities. Anything I say about Claudio and Danielle does not reflect on Gio. Gio, and if you need to get caught up on this, if you haven't been paying attention, last November at the U.S. uh, National Team Camp for the World Cup, Coach Greg Berhalter told Gio Reyna, the 20-year-old rising star from Dortmund, that he wouldn't be in the starting 11 in their first match against Wales. Gio Reyna then showed an alarming lack of effort in the warm-up game and the practices, which prompted an apology to the team. That, to me, should have shut off everything. Gio Reyna did something bad, he apologized for it, the team moved on. Move forward. However, Bet Online remains your number one source for all of your sports betting needs this season. Everything from NFL playoffs to pro and college basketball, UFC, MMA, and more. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, 
player news and game trends at Bet Online. With live betting options, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable. Bet Online is truly the fastest and easiest way to bet all of your favorite leagues and events. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE, that's B L E A V, to receive your rewards. BetOnline.ag, where the game starts. Please gamble responsibly. During the game, during the Wales match, as Gio Reyna sat on the bench, his parents were sat with the family and friends for the U.S. national team, and they started to do some things that were very questionable in my eyes, and let's get into it a little bit. So, um, Claudio Reyna and Gio and uh, Danielle Reyna had a call with Ernie Stewart, uh, who was the U.S. sporting director at the time, and started to unfold some stories from 31 years ago about Greg Berhalter's treatment of his wife, then girlfriend, Rosalind Berhalter. Um, guys, first, before we get into like the, the full story, reading through this report on the actions of Greg Berhalter, on the actions of Gio, on the actions of Gio's parents, what were your kind of first initial reactions? Maybe Ellie, we'll start with you. All of it was pretty just shocking. Um, the actions of the Reynas is just, I mean, it, it turns my stomach in some ways. Um, and it just, i it's bringing up something from the past that, you know, there's, there's trauma in that, in that situation. There's, there's, you know, abuse and it's just to bring that back up and use it against someone. I like there's just there's not words for it but then I mean for Burhalter to have that that kind of past I mean it 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 just breaks every heart I can I can think of um so just reading through it was just heartbreaking I mean really all this does is hurts people um Tom what were what were your initial takeaways yeah, I'm kind of with Ellie. I mean, it it there's no winners in this. There's just pain for Rosalind Burhalter and dragging something back out that has been long forgotten. And maybe even her kids had not even heard about this, and they are having to learn about this through a public report from the U.S. Soccer Federation, which is, um, you know, rough for all parties. And the first reaction I have is just the rain has come off looking so bad. It's just the ultimate youth soccer parent move, and it's just so unnecessary. Um, seeing that the pat the pattern that sort of is dragged up through all this was kind of shocking, and seeing how much Claudio and Danielle Reyna have a pattern of doing this was very shocking, and seeing, you know, how um, over the top they were at all times was just crazy. I, I it's amazing that all of this goes on in the federation. And it's been allowed to go on for so long without someone stopping and saying, okay, what what can we do to stop this? Yeah, well, the initial report was started because Daniel Reyna described an incident to Ernie Stewart where, quote, Greg beat the living shit out of her Rosalind Berhalter in the back alleyway. However, Danielle did not witness the incident. And while an incident of violence did occur, uh, through the report, we know that it did not differ from public statements already made by Greg and Rosalind Berhalter 
because of this investigation. The investigation found no evidence to contradict what the Burhalter shared in their public statement from January, and there was no evidence that his now wife Rosalind, who was interviewed, suffered injury from the incident. There was also no evidence that there has been repeated violence against his wife or any other other party. So that was the initial kickoff for the investigation. But Tom, you mentioned that there seemed to be uh, a habit or a history of actions from outside parties. So because of this report, because of the investigation on Greg Berhalter's actions from 31 years ago, the U.S. Soccer Federation also asked their independent investigators to investigate actions from outside parties towards U.S. Soccer Federation officials. So I also want to make another disclaimer that I don't think any of us are here to defend what happened between Greg Berhalter and Russell Berhalter, but I do think Personally, I'm here to defend the fact that this was from 31 years ago. It was a private matter that was dug up by Rosalind Berhalter's best friend, Daniel Reyna. Um, and after a couple that has worked through that pain and moved on. So it was theirs to to be there. It wasn't anyone else's to to bring up. Well, and not only that, but Greg Berhalter, the report sort of goes through all the steps that, you know, all the events that happened after that. And Berhalter basically handled it better than any 18 year old kid ever should handle something like that you know immediately the next day goes to his coach and reports it immediately self-reports it and like goes through therapy and goes to do everything he can to like you know make amends for it and like grow as a person that you know shows an amazing lack of maturity for an 18 year old college athlete and also just like wouldn't be a normal thing to happen in 2023 much less in 1992 for someone to take all those steps so the maturity shown there is pretty, pretty impressive. I think, you know, the event itself is horrible and I'm, you know, not, you can't defend that. It's an absolute deplorable event, but you have to sort of, you know, applaud Greg Berhalter almost for taking the steps to grow from the event. Yeah. I mean, you make a good point in 2023, all of these things are kind of top of mind in our society, thinking about treatment of women, abuse of everyone. And, to have this happen in 1992 where Greg Perlt, it happened. Greg Berhalter went to his coach, his soccer coach, talked about the incident, reported himself basically, went into, uh, I don't know if it was therapy or some type of uh, sessions to get over this and be able to come back to Rosalind Berhalter's family and apologize, have everything accepted and move on. Uh, that in 1992 was a pretty big step in maturity. So, okay, that story prompted Ray Stewart to ask the U.S. Soccer Federation to open an independent investigation. The irony in all of this is that then, because of Danielle Reyna reporting this to Ernie Stewart, the investigation then looked into the Reyna's treatment of U.S. soccer officials. So, for instance, we'll start with the actions at the Wales match when Gio Reyna was on the bench. Um, the Reynas made their displeasure known, uh, and this is directly from the report. Witnesses indicated that Mr. and Mrs. Reyna attended the game along with friends and family members of many other players and further indicated that the Reynas were dissatisfied with U.S. soccer coaches and officials as a result of the game. Witnesses also informed us that on separate occasions in the days that followed, Mr. and Mrs. Reyna each made a vague comment to U.S. soccer officials suggesting they knew damaging information about Mr. Berhalter that U.S. soccer did not know. Now, I know when this initial... Our report came out, not the actual investigation, but when the news came out that this had happened, a lot of talk was made about blackmail or threats 
from Lorena's to Greg Berhalter. Now, this might not meet the legal definition of blackmail, but the Reynas did hold damaging information over the head of Greg Berhalter with an action that they wanted to take, which was Greg Berhalter not having the job anymore. Now Greg Berhalter is out of contract. So I want to ask you guys, do you consider this, whether legally or not, to be blackmailed by the Reynas for Greg Berhalter? I think it's ethically scummy at the latest. <laughs> That's uh, like it's, you know, might not make the legal definition of blackmail, but it really is a horrible thing to do to your lifelong best friend, your teammate, your, you know, these families were so close. And to, yeah, leverage this situation for your own personal gain is not a good thing to do. It's not ethical. It's not okay. I, I yeah, it, it's just gross. Yeah, I I agree, and I I think probably keying in on that, like for your own personal gain, it may not be blackmail by the like legal term and definition of it, but it it is using incriminating information for personal gain, which is it all of this stuff turns my stomach. Like it just makes me sick. Like obviously. Yeah. Not great. And to make matters worse, uh, Daniel Reyna and Rosalind Burhalter have been best friends for the last 30 years. And the Wales match served as an inflection point for that close relationship between Daniel and Rosalind. The report states that Mr. Burhalter, Greg Burhalter, identified the Wales match as an inflection point in Mrs. Burhalter's relationship with Mrs. Reyna. Before that match, he said Mrs. Burhalter and Mrs. Reyna spoke on the phone daily. Quote, they had talked every day for decades and it ended immediately. He said in the stands after the match surrounded by the other families, they didn't speak. So all of this to stab your best friend in the back of 30 years. I mean, Ellie, <laughs> I don't know. Do you have any visceral reaction to, to that news? There's so many additional items and additional information that comes out that you read where you're just like, this this has to be where it ends, right? And then it keeps going. I just, the the thing I keep asking myself is like, I want information on what their friendship was like before this. Like, can you imagine, like, like did did Rosalind know that they, there was even the potential for this to occur? Like, is there, were there any signs? Is this completely out of the blue? Like, if it's out of the blue, I mean, just... Like, the betrayal you would feel. The actual, just deep, stabbing, gut-wrenching, heartbreaking betrayal. Well, and, like, the, there's some public reports on this. Like, this is two families who went on vacation together every single year. This is two families who were in each other's weddings. This is, this is like, people who have grown up together. Like, they... they Greg Berhalter and Claudia Reyna were high school teammates. They were middle school teammates. They were college teammates. They were national team teammates. They were Rosalind uh, Berhalter and Danielle Reyna were college teammates as well. It's kind of imagine that like that. That's insane. Yeah. So after the game and before the call with Stewart, Claudio started to make veiled threats to the general manager, Brian McBride, saying, quote, you guys don't even know what we know about Greg. And Daniel Reyna also stated to an unnamed U.S. soccer employee, quote, once this tournament is over, I can make one phone call and give one interview and his cool sneakers and bounce passes will be gone. 
<laughs> Which to me, I think once and for all proves that Daniel Reyna is a walkie stand <laughs> and that his content knows no bounds and that Greg's shoes are indeed cool. Uh, but outside of that, Tom, what are you taking from that? It's just the wildest thing that this happened. For one, the fact that Daniel Reyna can, you know, just text the U.S. Soccer Federation about this is, you know, not okay. Um, and two, that Claudia Reyna feels comfortable saying this stuff to Brian McBride is also not okay for the Federation. Um, either we'll from- find out some other information later about some things Claudio has said in the past that oh no, oh yeah, act well on him. Oh yeah, no, it's 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 insane that we that this can happen. But also, like, it's one game at the World Cup. This might be an overreaction, just just a little bit, um, and the most goofy way to phrase it possible. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think this probably is the only game where Geo actually loses playing time because of all of this. But I, you know, it's a really tight game. He might or might not even have been healthy for it. There's still the timeline on that is still incredibly unclear to me. So. I, I don't really understand the need to go this over the top in in talking about this in the first game of the World Cup to the Federation. Yeah, I mean, Ellie, this escalated pretty quickly, no? Oh, absolutely. Now, I will say when I read that quote the first time, I, I did laugh. So just, like, you just gotta recognize, like, really, like, you, you're, you're, it's, it's a threat, right? And yet it somehow comes across as one of the goofiest threats I think I've ever heard. He's cool sneakers and bounce pass it. Like, why? Like, the, the, uh, just, just come on. If you're going to, like. Uh, and I mean, we find out later. They're not better than that. No. No. No, no they're not. So <laughs> um. It does show too that uh, that uh, um, Daniel Reyna does not spend enough time on U.S. Twitter because she's like thinking that he's super popular and everything. But she spends enough time on Twitter, she might find that there is a significant pe- portion of people who would disagree with her assessment of him. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So after the Wales draw, uh, Claudio Reyna then texted Brian McBride again, saying, "Quote: Our entire family is disgusted, angry, and done with you guys." Don't expect nice comments from anyone in our family about U.S. soccer. I'm being transparent to you, not like the political clown show of the Federation. Now, the first thing I want to say about this, Tom, I think you mentioned it. This was the first match of the World Cup. Yeah. The U.S. was still bound to play three more matches. And Claudio Reyna was already saying, I'm disgusted, angry, and done with you guys. (laughs) (laughs) This reads like a bad Yelp review. (laughs) (laughs) This is really like where I want to start to separate the the Reina parents from Gio Reina because up until now, like Gio Reina still has not done anything wrong. He's he still apologized to his his teammates. They got past it. It's only the parents at this point. And also calling the Federation a political clown show. Um, I assume he's talking about the hiring of Greg Berhalter because Jay Berhalter was in the Federation at that time. We know because of the report that Claudio recommended Greg Berhalter as the first choice for the job. So if the U.S. Soccer Federation is the clown show, Claudio Reyna might be the leader of the circus at this point. Tom, I feel like you have to say something, right? Uh, I mean, have we mentioned yet that this is active general manager of Austin FC and the former general manager of New York City FC who is saying this stuff to the U.S. Soccer Federation? Because, like... 
A, this reads like a bad Yelp review, but B, like, this is an active MLS GM who is sitting here just, like, ranting, like, you know, he's in an eight-year-old soccer match and he's unhappy about his kid not playing to, like, former national team teammates who are running the Federation. This is just so unprofessional in every single way and just wild to see. Yeah, and Ellie, this was foreshadowing for a little bit of stuff later, but how did you take it having a former national team star and current, at the time, sporting director of an MLS team? I just, like, okay, don't get me wrong. I have my own questions about USSF, right? I'm not, I'm not going to claim that I don't have any questions and I don't have any things I'd like to talk to them about. But to be in it and to say those things and to be so influential in it and have the opportunity to make a change and instead choose to, like, call it a clown show and not recognize your part in that whole situation, like, as a... And, like, we haven't even mentioned the other things that he's done as a GM at his own club and all the other problems that he's had as a... Oh. <laughs> there are, but, he has his own scandals that he has not mentioned. I mean... Absolutely contribute to the clown show. That I mean, one of the major problems with it, I just... <laughs> and he's not wrong to call the clown show, but also, like, maybe have a little bit more self-awareness uh, about it. Of where he stands in all of that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. the irony, right? Like, you sit there and just think, oh, the irony. Like, can I please, pot calling kettle, please stop while you're ahead, while you're behind. Like, yeah. So let, let's get to some of that future stuff because, as the report states, while they were doing their investigation, they talked to everyone involved in this except for Claudio Reyna, and they were only able to talk to Daniel Reyna twice. Um, the first time in the phone call, uh, Danielle Reyna refused to say that she told Ernie Stewart about this action and basically denied that she had anything to do with this. She told the investigators, quote, I'm not saying I did that. I am not saying anything. I won't confirm or deny that I made that allegation to Ernie. I deny we were on a phone call. Um, the, the investigators then asked if she was denying that she and Mr. Reyna had a phone call with Mr. Stewart. And she said, quote, Yes, I am denying this whole thing. And then uh, she hung up and called back later <laughs> to say, uh, quote, I did say it in reference to the call with Mr. Stewart. Um, the, the, the original investigation was meant to bring clarity to the 1992 incident between the Burhalters, but the investigation expanded scope for the Reynas. And again, the irony that all of this just comes back to reflect poorly on them as the individuals to the U.S. Soccer Federation representatives. Um, the report also reveals that the Reynas, quote, disclosed information at a time when it would have been expected to discourage or otherwise influence the organization from offering a contract extension to Mr. Burhalter. Ernie Stewart explained during the investigation that he believed the Reynas made this disclosure to him that U.S. Soccer would not hire Mr. Burhalter for another term. Now, I want to get your reaction to that, but I also want to say Ernie Stewart was also a teammate of Claudio Reyna. Ernie Stewart and Brian McBride are also teammates, former teammates of Claudio Reyna in the national team at this point. So this is all, you know, one big circle of friends that have complete control over U.S. soccer. So what is what is your reaction now that we have this additional information 
uh, Danielle Reyna denying that she ever had the call, coming back and saying, I did say that. Then having the Reynas disclose this information specifically to discourage Greg Berhalter from getting another term. I see a lot of shaking of heads. Ellie, I'm going to let you talk first. I just, every time I talk about this, like, I cannot make this up. Like, if I, in my wildest dreams, was like, what what wild scandal could happen in U.S. soccer? I wouldn't be able to make this kind of thing up. And yet, like, calling... I just can't. Like, I don't even have words. There's so many things that happen that I just... Like, I think we all knew that there was this kind of close inner circle that, you know, is really hard to, it, it's near impossible to break into USSF unless you're in this inner circle. But then to, to like, look look at it a little closer and have this come out and really show what, what's what been going on. Like, Mike, I actually have a question for y'all. I mean, we, we spent the 2026 World Cup cycle. We worked so hard to build up this reputation for the U.S., for our soccer federation, for our, our place on a global scale for soccer. And, I, like, does this detract from us going forward? Does this make us into more of a joke on the global stage? We spent so much time trying to get to a point where we, like, finally, like, we have teams recognizing us as, like, solid global players and then we have this madhouse happen right after walk up like i i do think it stops us if we let it uh and the reason i say that is because at the world cup a lot of my non-us friends were talking about how impressed they were with the us team i think we also will talk about the pool interview in a little bit but there is general consensus that we not only surprised a lot of people, but proved that this is not a flash in the pan, that we have a young core group that will only continue to get better. Greg Berhalter got a lot of plaudits and praises during the World Cup because of his um, strategies and tactics that got us undefeated through the group stage. <laughs> we controlled possession and some would say the game against the Netherlands and had you know three counterattacks scored on us. So for me, like, I don't think this stops our progress unless we we let it. And it might be the, that the Federation does get sidetracked a little bit in hiring a sporting director and hiring a new manager. We'll we'll talk about Fuller and Balogun in the in a few minutes as well. Like there are things still to do. There are competitions still to win. Copa America next year, a Gold Cup, Nations League. Like nothing is stopping just because this report came out. I think we're going to be our own worst enemy or our own best friend in terms of what we do next. One could argue, though, that this does legitimize us as a national team on the global scale, just because, like, this is a true international scandal. Like, this is this is France having to ban Benzema for a year levels of ridiculous. Um, so, it, it you know, national teams have scandals. This is a thing that happens. What's amazing to me is that this is the same exact group of people who produced the last national team scandal. Eric Winalda is still even involved in it. Um, it's, you know, the same group of just melodramatic New Jersey people that have been a problem for the Federation. They, they I take offense to that. Tell <laughs> <laughs> it's, the same historically, I'm years. part of that group. <laughs> Jake is part of the problem at USS. <laughs> <laughs> but 
Yeah, no, it's it's the same group of melodramatic people who all grew up in the same little area of New Jersey who had been problematic for the national team since they were playing at the 1998 World Cup and causing drama and scandal then. So, you know, one might say that it might be time to move on. All right, so we'll we'll get to the uh, the female referee thing in a second. I do want to say, too, if, a, if anyone at this point is saying, well, Greg Berhalter made the first wrong by not playing Geo or deciding to not give him playing time, no, he didn't, because Greg is accountable to being a manager, and his job is to make decisions on the starting lineups and strategies to advance to the knockout rounds, which he did. It was his decision and his discretion as a manager to not play Geo. So you can disagree all you want that he made the right sporting decisions, but you can in no way say that he made the wrong moral decisions. So when I'm talking about the Reinas now, I think they made some pretty big moral goofs, some pretty bad moral decisions. Um, so unfortunately, there's more. Let's talk about the referee and some of the past comments made by Claudio Reyna. So as part of the investigation, it was found dating back to as far as 2017, Claudio Reyna had been making possibly inappropriate comments to U.S. soccer officials, including a sexist remark reg regarding referees refereeing Gio Reyna's national team games. He said, uh, the report stated, Mr. Reyna complained about a female referee in a match involving Gio Reyna. We obtained an email from Mr. Reyna in July 2018, in which he stated, quote, field referee everything, so embarrassed all the way around. And in all honesty, can we get real and have male refs for a game like this? It's embarrassing, guys. What are we trying to prove? A game like this deserves better attention. I mean, come on, we... We are better than this. We talked about 2023 and 1992. It doesn't matter. Female referees can do anything. It does not require... A... Okay, go ahead, Tom. This, so is the same, this is the same year that Claudia Reyna was the sporting director at NYCFC and David Villa, David Villa had his uh, um, covered up sexual assault incident by the NYCFC uh, GM slash sporting department. So... Having that happen the same year that these comments come out is gross. It's disgusting. Um, Ellie, what what did you make of these comments? I just that this this was this was one that that really that really got me. Um, the the and I'm not even sure I have words for this one. Like this is one that like when I read the quote, like. I, I think I have to put my phone down and just walk away for a second because like, like, no matter what we say, no matter at the end of the day, right, we all recognize that Claudio Reyna was a very important person in U.S. soccer and has, has, you know, his playing has given him a place in history. And as someone who has influence and has some kind of right power, to see them... And I'm like trying to find the right words, and I don't know if I'll I'll, I'll hit the right words. Um, but to see someone with that kind of power use it in that way, and use it to discourage and tear down women in sports, in soccer, in any kind of way, like it hurts pretty bad, um, and it it makes it that much harder for women to find their place in soccer and to find a home and a safe place to express themselves. Um, yeah. 
as is U.S. soccer, is not the most friendly to women. It's just not. It's It can be incredibly hard to be a woman in in a supporter culture, in, in so many different spaces, right? That's just, it just is what it is. No matter what we say at the end of the day, that is what it is. And to see someone with that kind of power and that kind of influence say something like that and treat women that kind of way, just beyond inexcusable, beyond inexcusable. Even 2018, 2023, no matter what you say. Yeah. yeah. It, this is not a comment that should be taken lightly no matter what the year is. And the Professional Soccer Referee Association also made a statement regarding Claudia Reyna's communications. Uh, Mr. Reyna's sexist and misogynistic comments about female referees are deplorable. The PSRA considers his actions disqualifying for employment in MLS and beyond. MLS cannot provide a haven for Mr. Reyna's opinions while also celebrating the quality and diversity of its own officials. Now, while this investigation was happening, Claudio Reyna did step down from his post in Austin. Personally, for me, I think Claudio Reyna may be done at a professional level in sport. I mean, he was at an MLS club, a, a FIFA member uh, club, making these comments about officials in FIFA competitions. But what do you guys see as the future for Claudio Reyna in sport? Is is he done? He should be. I don't know if he'll, you know, have to, he'll go abroad and find some European club that will take him on as a sporting director, but there's no way that any club in the United States can ever hire him again. It's just, this is not just like one isolated thing. This is a years long pattern of ethics violations and sexist comments and everything that just are absolutely disqualifying from working in the U.S. professional soccer setup again. Yeah. All right, we, we are almost done here. So Claudio Reyna was unwilling to participate in the investigation. Danielle Reyna had the two brief phone calls, which we mentioned. They both made threats to U.S. soccer employees about releasing damaging information about Greg Berhalter's past during the World Cup. Six hours after the report was published, the Reynas seemingly found their voice through Gio Reyna's agent with what I would consider a complete non-apology. I'm going to read this, and I'll have it up on screen as well. This is what the... Uh, the statement said, U.S. soccer is a small community. Anyone who knows the Reynas knows that they are kind, generous people who have devoted countless hours and energy to promoting U.S. soccer and to the welfare of so many fellow players, parents, coaches, administrators, and others. They are also a tremendously loving family that was profoundly impacted by the terrible loss of their eldest son, Jack, to cancer in 2012 at the age of 13. Claudio and Danielle acknowledge that they have said and done things in the heat of the moment that they regret particularly the statement that triggered the U.S. soccer investigation. Gio Reyna acknowledges that. Like countless players before, he showed too much disappointment when not selected to play at the World Cup. That is only part of the story here, but the only side of the story that the investigators chose to tell. It is disheartening and grossly unfair to see the family turned into one-dimensional caricatures to progress a narrative that benefits others. Hopefully a U.S. soccer community, hopefully as a U.S. soccer community, we are better than that. Um, so there's a lot to unpack there, but I think I, I have to start somewhere and this is where, like, I, I just have to be true to myself. So I'm sorry if this offends some people. I think that it's disgraceful that they use their child's death to score sympathy points. Um, 
And I, I can't imagine the pain and suffering that comes with a parent having to bury their child, especially as someone that just became a father. But to even mention the death in a statement that regards completely separate and independent behavior from a decade later just makes it clear to me that they're using Jack's death to their advantage. And that, to me, kind of closes the case on what kind of people these these people are and closes the story um, for me on Claudio and Daniel Reyna. So I'm, I'm sorry, but that's my statement. I feel like I have to say that first, and I know it's, it's not going to be a place where a lot of people go, but that their child's death had nothing to do with their behavior a decade later at a World Cup for Gio Reyna. Um, but I'll, I'll let you guys kind of close out your thoughts on, on everything that we've talked about. Um, Ellie, I don't know wh- where your head's going right now. All of, all of it's inexcusable. All of it's inexcusable. And I think you're absolutely right. I think that, that bringing, you know, it, the, the loss of a child is like, there's, there's no greater sadness, right, than than seeing your child pass in your own lifetime. Um, but to use that to try and change the narrative, to try and right to talk about this incident, they, they you're right, they're not related. And to use that, it it doesn't excuse anything. None of this, none of this can be excused. None of this can be just passed over and allowed to just hide under a rug and continue onward. It's important to talk about these things and you know the the conversations around it I I I'm happy that the conversations around it have been occurring because they're important conversations and they're conversations that I think say a lot about where we're at in our US soccer history and where we move forward and I think that this is going to be a really big moment and I think that I just, this shouldn't have been allowed to go on and it should have been brought to light far, far faster. And there's, there's no path that can be given. Uh, I I tend to think that, you know, if you want to change the narrative, either give a statement to the investigation, or if you don't want to talk to the lawyers, maybe give a full interview to someone like Brian Strauss, who's already writing about this for ESPN. Um, There are ways to get your story out there and sort of change the narrative beyond this statement that's given by your agents um and they didn't didn't choose to go that route i also just sort of feel bad for Gio reyna because i feel like he was not raised in a culture that was very healthy it seems like he was sort of told from a young age that you know life revolved around him he was the star uh he deserved special treatment from it we didn't even touch on the fact that claudia reyna complained about his you know, uh, he's not flying business class, but the USU 17, he just, there's this pattern of the Reinas seem to see everyone around them as pawns that they can manipulate to sort of advance Geo's career, which I just feel bad for him. That can't have been a really great environment to have been raised in and can't have been, you know, super helpful to his development as a professional player. Um, obviously, he's a super talented kid, but the Reynas are sort of shown as the worst type of soccer parents, and that's just a rough thing. Yeah. And just to close this out, I, I think the worst part in all of this is that the people most hurt by this investigation are Gio Reyna, basically an innocent 20-year-old player who's arguably the greatest talent the U.S. has ever produced, 
and Greg Berhalter's wife, Rosalind, who had nothing to do with any of this before having her best friend publicly stab her in the back for petty revenge. Uh, I think all of that kind of speaks to the story that we we just discussed. So, all right, let's move on to the Fulisic interview with ESPN. I think a nice transition moment, Tom, that you just mentioned was the youth soccer aspect of what happened in this report. So in the interview, which is about 45 minutes, I'd encourage all of you guys to watch the Pulisic interview. It is on YouTube. It's on ESPN as well. He was asked about the situation happening in U.S. soccer right now. And we'll talk about this for a second. And then I want to talk about his comments on Greg Berhalter and uh, the the team going into the World Cup. So uh, Pulisic was asked about the what's happening in U.S. soccer. And he said, quote, I'm not here to appoint the next manager. It's not my job. Whoever it is, I'm going to play and give 100%. But in my opinion, everything that happened with Greg has been handled in an extremely childish manner. I think we have all seen what's been going on. I think it's childish. It's youth soccer, people complaining about playing time. Now, is Pulisic right here? I, I think it pretty much tracks with, with what we've been talking about. Yeah, I, I, you can't disagree with them. Um, and, you know, Christian Pulisic, if you follow this team or follow him for any number of years, you'll know he does not speak. He does not give his opinion. He's a very quiet, just sort of keep his head down guy. For him to say this is like, that's, you know, standing on top of a building and shouting out his opinion to the world. This is a pretty bold statement for him. So, you know, he clearly feels very strongly about what he's saying. Yep. So he continued, uh, and this was the first slice that we got. So I think we got this this clip about a few days before the actual interview came out. He also said um, in in response to finding a new manager, should we just wait and wait? We're not in a phase where we need to completely rebuild like we were after not qualifying for the last World Cup. We don't need a bunch of new guys coming in. We have a strong core. A lot of people have seen that. We need to carry on. That's why it's a tough one, because I think we want to continue as soon as we can and build from this World Cup, which brought a lot of positives. Now, when that clip was released, people were using that as a way to say that Pulisic was giving um, appreciation and backing for Greg Berhalter. There was some back and forth on what he really meant <laughs> about that. Um, but I think we can pretty much say, um, after the full interview went out, that Pulisic did back Greg Berhalter, uh, not only just for the results at the World Cup, but in terms of personally improving players and forging the team as a unit and a brotherhood. Us from the outside, we don't necessarily know if these words that the team is using in press conferences and everything are real. You know, Tyler Adams, Christian Pulisic, they can use the word brotherhood as much as they want to in interviews, but we don't actually know what's happening on the inside. I think this interview pretty much confirms that this is a real team. This is a bunch of young men that feel close to each other, that experienced the World Cup, the highs and the lows together, and they feel really good about the core of the team that's there. Um, Pulisic also talked about his appreciation for Greg benching him and telling him to train like he plays, essentially train harder, um, and what that did for Christian Pulisic's health and his mentality. Um, so as part of this interview, it it does seem like Pulisic is backing Greg Berhalter, and maybe if backing is too strong of a word for you, I do think it definitely says that Pulisic would be absolutely fine with Greg Berhalter to continue at the helm of U.S. soccer for the next four years as an eight-year project. 
Ellie, what did you think of the Pulisic interview? And do you agree with him essentially that, you know, Greg did some really good things for the team? I will say I texted Thomas when I saw the interview come out and I was like, okay, I'm not going to lie. Why is he getting involved in this? This is like, keep your hands off. The situation is really tense. Do we really need to go into this? And then I looked into it and was like, good for him. Like, absolutely good for him. Like, I really fully support his statements. I think that he's right. I think that Berhalter did fine. Like, I don't have any arguments after the World Cup with how Berhalter did as a manager. I, I think that he he played the team he needed to. I think the strategies worked. I think it was clear and effective. And you know what? If Berhalter comes back, I really don't have any arguments. I'm not going to lie, right? Like, I'll, I think there'll be arguments with any manager. It's just, that's just the way it is, right? Everyone has their own opinion. We don't know what we're going into. And to see a player, you know, back a coach as strongly as I think Pulisic did, um, I, I'm happy to see that, that Berhalter made an effect on the team and how strong it was. And I think that it, I think it's showing in those relationships and what Pulisic is saying about the brotherhood and about, you know, it, how they all connect with each other. I, I think that Pulisic, you know, for years we've sort of known him as a guy who really lives and dies for the national team. And this sort of confirms it even more. You know, for anything that happens with club, for any, you know, the stuff that he had to deal with at Tuchel, he, you know, has always found solace and, like, support in going back to the national team setup and sort of working on this project that he's been working on since he was a kid, basically. And, you know, I... I think that that sort of failure to qualify for the World Cup that he was a part of it in his sort of formative years as a player has really sort of given him a lot of appreciation for the stability that Berhalter brought for the uh, uh, core that he was able to bring in and develop the culture he was able to put together and how different I think that was than what Bruce Arena was doing when Pulisic first got started so it makes total sense that Pulisic is sort of feeling this way and after seeing them play at the World Cup he has every right to feel this way. They're Pulisic uh, and his, you know, this young core shocked the world, essentially. They proved that the U.S. can play beautiful soccer and can get out of the group stage of the World Cup playing it. I mean, we outplayed England for most of that match, especially in the midfield, and Pulisic looked great in that match. So, I, I you can't disagree with him. It's, it's really hard to sort of say that he doesn't have a point. Yeah, I mean, he was asked point blank by the interviewer, if Greg were to be put in charge again immediately, would you feel content with that? And he said, quote, yes, no doubt, no doubt about it. <laughs> I think the strides that we've taken in recent years with him in charge have been evident. I think it's quite clear. Um, so I do want to ask, and Ellie, I'll start with you. What is the divide between U.S. fans' feelings towards Greg Berhalter? And, and maybe not U.S. fans, but uh, U.S. Twitter, U.S. Instagram, the the people that live on the internet, basically. Maybe we're talking to the people that are watching and listening to this. But like, what is the divide between the feelings towards Greg Berhalter and what we're hearing now from Pulisic about the players and their appreciation for him? I'm not gonna lie. I'm I'm not sure. I'm not. There's there's such a big divide, and like Thomas and I have been trying to talk through this a lot, and like. I'm still trying to understand all of U.S. Twitter. Um, being new to soccer, U.S. Twitter scares me. Um, U.S. Twitter, please don't come after me. I haven't done anything, I promise. Um, 
But to see, like, to see this, like, there's there's a clear correlation. Like, you see, you see players who time and time again have supported Greg Berhalter, have backed him, have talked about how positive the experience of him coaching has been. You see, you know, this this a coach who is who is, you know, trying so hard and is, you know, working out all these separate strategies and has recruited for the ages. And there's such a big disconnect between all of this and soccer Twitter. I just don't, I'm not sure I know how to, this whole thing has been a very fascinating thing for me. I'm not going to lie. I've been kind of watching from the sidelines and kind of giggling behind my hand. Like, I do, I do think that's tough though, uh, as a new soccer fan to be scared of US Summit T Twitter, like that, that has to say something. But Tom, what is your inkling for the divide? I, I've been talking about this a lot with people, um, Particularly, I've been sort of trying to see what other people said on, I think, the most rational spaces of Discord, I think, is the where you get the more rational takes. And I, I think that there's this sort of culture surrounding a proxy war between uh, MLS and European-based players and coaches that sort of comes to a head in Greg Berhalter and players like Jesus Ferreira. And some reason, they're like the lightning rods or this sort of proxy war that exists between people who think everything should be based around Europe and people who are sort of more okay with MLS being in the picture. Um, I also think that there's this sort of culture of distrust around the Federation that's well-earned, but has sort of drawn a lot of criticism towards Berhalter through sort of the questionable way in which he was hired. There is There are questions about, you know, how legitimate that hiring process was. Um I just think that it's sort of a media culture that's sort of built up around the U.S. team as well. I think that there's this sort of culture of distrust of the media that works with the Federation and sort of looking for alternative streams of media and um, some of that feeding and sort of trying to grow the distrust in Berhalter and in the MLS-based players that um, has sort of built this monster that we now have within the U.S. spaces. Um that's probably a pretty harsh way to put it, but I think that it can't be discounted that this sort of culture has been built up where it is a very easy way to score brownie points on the internet is to bash Greg Berhalter, and that has sort of led to this sort of rabid group of people who hate Greg Berhalter more than anything. And nothing will change their mind, including Christian Pulisic coming out and saying that he supports and appreciates him. Oh yeah, there's so many people who are now going after Christian Pulisic because he said he supports him and questioning his mentality, which is just wild. It is. It is wild. <laughs> uh, he said his words, just read the words or listen to the words, and that's probably what he meant, everyone that, that is bashing him. Uh, the, the, my favorite takes are the people who have said that Christian Pulisic doesn't know what a good manager looks like, clearly, which is just <laughs> hilarious. Someone who's won the Champions League. That's Played fine. for Thomas Tuchel and Jurgen Klopp, but we're we're not going to go there. Yeah. My favorite is the ones where they're talking about like he doesn't have a tough mentality, and I look at you look at his career, and you're just like, yeah, this dude what? is a guy who keeps keeps benching hundred million pound wingers at Chelsea every single time he comes back from injury. Like, yeah, it's it's wild. Some of the stuff that's floating floating around there right now, and I'm I'm kind of enjoying sort of sitting back and watching it all play out, really. Yeah, so at the World Cup, and right now, we have an interim manager, Anthony Hudson. Um, at the World Cup, we were missing a number nine, really, that 
solidified our front three. Let's talk a little bit about Fuller and Balligan because he is a tri-national, uh, someone who is available for three nationalities, the US, England, and Nigeria. Now, he has played in the England setup. He has grown up in the England setup almost his entire life. Um, he's scored lots of goals for England's youth national teams. But we know because of the, Nash- the Nations League roster, um, Anthony Hudson, the U.S. soccer interim coach, in his press conference after the roster was released, was asked about Fuller and Balogun and his projections to come play for the U.S. national team. Um, Anthony Hudson mentioned him as Flo, so he's on a nickname, first name basis with Fuller and Balogun. And he did say that there are open dialogues with Flo and his his team. Um, this also uh, started to marinate a lot of opinions in the U.S. soccer world because the day after that, the uh, England national team roster was released for the Nations League. Fuller Balligan was not on it, and he released an Instagram post that said, go where you're appreciated. Um, I, I think there's a pretty good chance that if he keeps being shunned by the England national team that he could choose the U.S., but we don't have a coach right now that is there full-time. I think that could help us. Um, having a sporting director that has a vision for the next four years could help us. But I also think someone that is just trying to sell him on the fact that we need a number nine, he would instantly upgrade our team in that position. He would instantly be a star of the team. 2026 is being hosted in the U.S. Um, there are going to be a lot of advertising and just things that are available to him that might not be available to him as other parts of other national teams. Um, this is the second high, second leading scorer in Liga right now as an under-21 player. Um, he was called into the English national team's under-21 team the day after he made that Instagram post. So I'm going to let all of you just react to everything that I just said. Is Fuller and Balogun still up in the air? Is he going to choose the U.S.? What would it mean to have Balogun as leading the front line for the U.S. national team? Thomas, I'm going to let you start with this one because I've got a lot to say. All right, cool. I, w- I was giving you the space. But um, yeah, it's it's, positive. it's a positive sign that he is sort of still thinking about the U.S. I England has a problem with calling in people who are not playing in the Premier League. They tend to not really respect any performances that happen outside of England. And so that sort of is working to our advantage right now where they're sort of calling in players like Tony, who, you know, are really good strikers, but I don't think project as well to the future as someone like Balligan, who is a very young, exciting prospect. But if he's not going to get playing time and it's sort of a crowded field at striker in England, especially with Harry Kane not really near retirement for a few more years now, um, then it makes sense that he might look towards the U.S. where he could basically be the starter or at least in the on lineups rosters for a decade. So, um, yeah, I think as we're in a good position, he's really good friends with Yunus Musa. You got to think that there's some recruiting going on behind the scenes. Um, so, who knows what's going to end up happening with it? But I think you can't count the U.S. out as still as being out of the mix for him as a prospect. I think that there is still a good chance he could lean that way and end up committing to the U.S. Kelly, what do you think? It is no secret on this podcast that I am a Falarin Balogun fan and that I want Falarin Balogun to come and play for the U.S. I have literally asked multiple times. 
That Instagram post made my day, I will say. Um, it just made my day. And all the conversations, like I genuinely, with with all of the positives that, that come from signing for the U.S., like I don't think looking at England's squad, I just don't think there are as many positives. I think it makes far more sense to come and sign to the U.S. I, I, he will immediately be placed at that role. He will basically have like his choice of how he wants to represent the country like he will be able to be that star immediately off the bat he will get that recognition he has friends in the squad Leonard Balligan please come sign for the U.S. Um, Counterpoint to this um, if he can break into the England squad which you know I think he's talented enough to do it they are going to compete and possibly win Euro 2024 they are going to be near the top of the front runner pool for World Cup 2026 if he can do it, do you choose the team where you're guaranteed playing time for a long time, or do you go for glory? That's that's sort of the big, I think, question. Who says glory can't come to with the U.S. in 2026? <laughs> that's the thing. I think the 2026 World Cup, if it showed us if the 2020, the, the World Cup that we just had. I'm so sorry, y'all. I think the World Cup, if it showed us nothing, it showed us that we have a shot. Like. I'm not counting this out at all. Um, I think that like a lot of those players will be in their prime. And, you know, I don't think that there is, I don't think that he has to pick between glory on either side, like one side or the other won't get him glory. I think that this is more a space of, I would like to think comfort and um, who he'll be playing with on some level. It, it boils down to the, the players and the coaching, I think. We really, 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 really need to get USF sorted out. And I think that I, I don't see a reason why we, we can't continue these conversations. And it brings me the greatest hope in the world. The greatest hope in the world. And, and even if you look at Nigeria's team, which uh, Balogun did decline, uh, Victor Osemen is the leading scorer in Syria for Napoli, who will is leading Syria by like 15 points at this point. Um, he's 24. His market value is 66 million pounds, and he has 21 goals and four assists in 22 matches for Napoli. So, even if he goes to Nigeria, that's a crowded field as well at the striker position. All right. So that's Fuller Balligan. He wasn't called in, or maybe he didn't accept uh, the call up from the U.S. Soccer Federation for the Nations League. Let's talk a little bit about the Nations League now and the roster that was released. Um, we have games, finally, competitive matches for the U.S. Soccer Federation. Um, they're first since the World Cup last November. Um, where do we want to start? I feel like goalkeepers even has something to discuss right now because Matt Turner is on the bench at Arsenal, um, but we have Ethan Horvath and Zach Steffen who are both in the promotion playoff spot in the championship right now and both playing out of their minds in that position. So what does the U.S. do now? with these goalkeepers where Matt Turner is kind of the de facto number one from the World Cup, but he is the one that isn't getting playing time. The other two are in form and getting lots of playing time. I, I think you've got to get Turner's playing time. We saw when Steppen was in this exact situation at Man City that you just, you've got to roll with the guy who got you there. And I think that Matt Turner needs minutes. I don't know if he gets both games. I think if we have a chance to put in basically a guy who can set up a lawn chair and, you know, do a crossword puzzle in front of goal during the Grenada game. Maybe throw Ethan Horvath out there. But 
I don't expect him to get tested at all in that match. But in competitive games that matter, I want Matt Turner getting the minutes and getting a chance to not sit on the bench for once. Is Matt Turner still the number one for you, Ellie? Oh, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Um, no questions asked. <laughs> no questions there. All right, let's move to defenders because we we also need to mention a few injuries. Um, Chris Richards was held out for an injury, although he's on the bench for Crystal Palace as we speak against Arsenal. Cameron uh, Card Vickers was also held out for injury, although he started his match for Celtic yesterday. Um, there are a few others that are out with injuries. Tyler Adams is also out, one of our most important midfielders. Let's go through the defenders. Serginho Dest, Mark McKenzie, Tim Ream, uh, star of the podcast. Brian Reynolds, who we have mentioned in the last few podcasts. Anthony Robinson, Miles Robinson, Joe Scally, Austin Trusty. Um, this core of defenders has the only MLS player on this roster. Uh, Tom, as the resident MLS stand. Are you in shambles, or how do you feel about this defender core? I I love it. Um, I you know there are names from MLS that I think I wouldn't have minded seeing on this roster, a la Kellen Acosta, but um, none of them are fullbacks or defenders at all. Maybe you could make an argument for John Tolkien. Maybe Caleb Wiley, as Ellie has pointed out before, could make an argument. He did score and assist again yesterday, but. Miles Robinson's a good name to call if you're going to call one MLS player. He's been fantastic for Atlanta to start this season. I've watched a lot of them. He looks exactly like his old self. He has not lost a step at all um, and just looks comfortable on the ball. So it seems like Hudson wants to get him back integrated to the national team squad, which is exactly what we did with Aaron Long when he had this exact same injury last year. I do think Miles Robinson's a better player than Long was at the time when he was coming back, though. So... It's good to see him back in the setup. He's a name that projects very well for 2026 and one that's looking to get minutes for a move to Europe here in the next 12 months if rumors are to be believed within the Atlanta camp. So, yeah, um, exciting that we've got just the one MLS name and we get to see the European names on there. Austin Trusty's a name that's really exciting. Brian Reynolds is a name that's very exciting. These are players who have been sort of on the fringe or performing well in Europe for a while now but haven't been able to get a look. Yeah, and without Walker Zimmerman there, Ellie, who do you think is the center back that starts next to Tim Reed, assuming that he's one of the starters? Is it Miles Robinson? Thomas is laughing because it's absolutely Miles Robinson. <laughs> it's absolutely Miles Robinson. Um, I just, I I love the rest of the names on this list. Fantastic players. It's Miles Robinson. Yeah. Um, all right, let's go to the midfielders. Tyler Adams, again, is out with a hamstring injury. He uh, notably did not start <laughs> or play in the match for Leeds, although they beat Wolverhampton Wol- uh, Wanderers. Wolverhampton? Wolves? Wanderers. 3-2. Uh, Brendan Harrison, Johnny Cardoso, Luca De La Torre, Weston McKinney, Eunice Musa, and Alan Senora round out the midfielder core. Uh, we can't have the MMA trio. So, Ellie, what is, what's your midfield setup? Uh, Weston McKinney, Eunice Musa, and Luca De La Torre. The way that Luca Del Torre has been playing at Celta Vigo, Celta Vigo, Celta Vigo, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Questioning my own my own knowledge there. I think they um, also go by Celta, but Celta Vigo's the full name. Um, he's just been playing lights out, and to be a starter on on such a really amazing team right now, um, he absolutely takes that position. Tom, is there something to be said for Brendan Aronson? I was just gonna ask that if we might wanna. 
instead of trying to fit square pegs into round holes, um, where we don't have a Tyler Adams replacement, doesn't really make sense to me to play with that, you know, catch all six who just does everything. And instead, maybe do we want to run out a four through four, two, three, one with a double pivot? And maybe if we do that, it might make more sense to have a Brendan Aronson sort of playing above McKenny and Musa or McKenny and De La Torre or De La Torre and Musa or whatever combination of those three you want to put out there. I think it might make a lot of sense to sort of throw Brendan Aronson in there and see if we can't make a 10 work with the squad. Yeah, I mean, the only true six on this roster is Johnny Cardoso. Do do we stick with the the pure six just because we play like that with Tyler Adams or do we put our three best midfielders on? If you put the three best midfielders on, um, you've either got Brendan Aronson playing ahead of the two or you have Moose McKenney and De La Torre playing in like like a flat three with like a triple pivot type of situation maybe. Um, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting question. It'll be really interesting to see how Hudson does it because I don't think that I at least don't want to see Cardoso getting all these minutes as a pure six. I would rather see us experiment with formations and see if we can't make who I think the best four midfielders on here, Aronson, De La Torre, McKinney, and Musa, you know, work. Yep. Then we move to forwards. Taylor Booth, an exciting prospect at FC Utrecht, is starting to get attention from Champions League teams like Ajax. He plays as kind of a left wing, left inside forward. He has been with the U.S. team in camp once, but he didn't make his debut. Hopefully we get to see him a little bit in these matches. Daryl Digue is back, finally, from injury. Uh, and his scoring form in the English Championship, I think it makes us sad that he wasn't healthy for the World Cup. Ricardo Pepe also overcomes his despair at being left off the World Cup roster, and he's back with the U.S. Christian Pulisic, Gio Reyna, Timothy Weah, and Alex Zendejas round out the forward group. As I'm assuming we play in that 4-3-3 with uh, Christian Pulisic on the left, is Timothy Weah versus Gio Reyna still a conversation on the right wing? It's worth noting that Timothy Weah was stretchered off the field and his neck was supported due to a head injury yesterday in his match versus Le- with for Lille. Um, he is, I think, questionable at this point to actually come to camp. Um, but if he's there, then yes, there absolutely is a question of Weah versus uh, Reyna. Or we could throw Tim Weah at left back and see how that works. <laughs> I like honestly if Anthony Robinson was not healthy I'd be down for it just because that's what happens with Leo but Jedi is so good on the left left back for us um I will say Timothy Way yes he was stretchered off there was a clip um on Instagram of him in the locker room after the game just with a nice pack on his head standing celebrating with his teammates so remains to be seen if he'll be with the U.S. roster but it looks like he's okay which which is good um Ali Zendejas, he commits to the U.S. national team and makes his Nations League roster debut. Um, is he going to raise the ceiling for this team? I don't know if he raises the ceiling for me. I think he raises the floor, though. When you think about sort of our fifth, sixth, fourth winger options, you have Brendan Aronson, who's probably our fourth, although it seems like we're sort of shuffling back into the midfield rotation. Um, you have... Paul Ariola, you have Taylor Booth, you have Georgie Mihailovic, maybe Malik Tillman, you have um, Jordan Morris. And while I think Morris offers a different look than the rest of the winger pool, I think Zendejas does as well. And I think sort of until some of these younger guys develop in Europe, sort of gives us an option that's very Christian Pulisic-esque, but is a left-footed, slaloming dribbler um, who can come in and eat minutes and play very well when we don't have a Reyna or a Wea on the field. 
Yeah. Ellie, as our resident Balogun fan, I want to ask you about the number nine position because we have uh, Daryl DK and Ricardo Pepe to choose from on this roster. Who do you see as the starting number nine for the U.S.? I, almost anyone who knows me knows I'm a Daryl DK fan, like a really strong Daryl DK fan. Um, and the way he's been tearing it up um, over for West Brom, I I think that he's he's my choice. Um, I think that that Ricardo Pepe is looking looking at his past like two or three matches has not been in the form that he was in even like a month ago, um, and hasn't been tearing it up as much as he was um, uh, just a hot minute ago. Um, whereas I think Daryl DK is is really in that stride, and so I think that that unbiased. I think it's Gerald DK. I think that he's really playing well right now. And I think that that you start with Daryl DK. And, you know, I think Ricardo Pepe deserves, we have two games. Why not have one play one and one play the other? Yeah. And the goals that DK has been scoring have been clinical. I mean, great finishes all around. It's mm-hmm. it's sort of worth it. Let's caveat this when I talk XG. It's very risky to make any type of decisions based on comparing XG from one league to another. But having said that, when you look at the underlying numbers, DK is over half 0.5 XG per 90 right now and still running ahead of that on his goals scored. Um, Pepe is not at that. He scored a bunch of goals, but they've been sort of low XG chances and it doesn't feel as sustainable as what DK's doing. Um, Pepe's sort of running on a hot streak and has been since getting to Groningen. It's awesome to see he's getting terrible service, not getting a lot of opportunities, but when he is, he's putting them away, whereas DK is consistently getting into dangerous areas and making something happen, which is, you know, a, a data point to consider when we're talking about who should be starting for the national team right now. Tom, I love as a scientist, you just said we absolutely shouldn't do this, but let me do this anyway and explain why it matters. It's it's, it's important to, you know, put this in the proper context that like the data point, it's something that can be considered. I wouldn't base all of my decisions on, you know, my the XG per 90 of two players in two different leagues. But looking at the XG, there's something to be said for what DK versus Pepe are doing right now. Yeah, so given the strength of what we could have as a starting 11 and some of the injuries that are out there, I want to ask you guys to just pick a few players that potentially missed out on this roster. Uh, Tom, I know you mentioned Mihailovic has won. Is that kind of the standout player that missed this roster? Yeah, I I have Georgie as sort of the one. You could talk uh, MLS names, but I think they're all going to that April weird camp that's just been announced, that friendly against Mexico that we're going to play outside of the FIFA window. Um, I think, you know, Brandon Vasquez is still a really hot name that I would like to see more of. I'd like to see Georgie Mihailovic, who hasn't been integrated since he went off for Club Club de Foot Montreal two years ago and has been on a tear since then. Um, I would like to see what he can bring to the pool. We also have a lot of left back slash hybrid left wingers that I don't think we've gotten enough of a look at yet. John Tolkien. Um, Kevin Paredes has been a substitute and been playing ball at Wolfsburg. Um, Caleb Wiley is another name that's really on the forefront of everyone's mind right now. Um, yeah, I think that those are sort of the big names for me. I don't think there's anyone in the midfield that I'm sort of really dying to get a look at. Maybe yeah. Tim Dillon? I mean, uh, Anthony Hudson in the press conference after the roster release did talk about Kevin Paredes being essentially right on the cusp. Uh, and if it was any other camp or if they brought in more players, he would be there. 
Um, the fact that we only brought in 24 players makes me think, why not? But <laughs> whatever, that's not my decision. Um, Ellie, Caleb Wiley is just cruising at, at ATL right now. Um, if he keeps this up, is he in contention for the April window? Absolutely. I'm uh, hands down, absolutely no questions asked. Um, now, in what position is the question? Um, if Christian Pulisic gets that call up for that April camp, um, then I think there's a question about whether he play where he plays. Um, but I would personally kind of like to see Caleb Wiley play in a striker position and see what happens. Just, just why not? You know, what's the worst that could happen? The worst that happens is it doesn't work out and we move him back. Whatever. Coaches thought like you. <laughs> just, just play somebody at the number nine and hope, hope that it works. See if it works. I mean, seeing that he's been doing on the left wing, uh, keep in mind that he's playing with probably the best player in MLS right now in Thiago Almada. But like that, I don't know if you guys saw the assist he had last night. Um, but he, you know, three long switches in a row come to him. Um, they just sort of slice the ball from side to side to side and it falls at his feet. And he just hits this beautiful early cross right to the head of Giacomacus, sir. Not, I'm still learning this the new Greek striker's name, but just perfect early cross. Picks out his uh, head perfectly and it's an easy finish for him. So uh, and that's in addition to a great counterattacking goal where all he had to do was just sort of beat the keeper 1v1. He's, he's on a roll right now. He's a name that is going to start to generate a lot of hype in MLS if he keeps this up. Yep. So the U.S. will play Grenada Friday, March 24th at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, and then El Salvador uh, Monday, March 27th at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Six points, right, guys? What are, what are you expecting from this Nations League? Bare minimum is a result against El Salvador. Um, and, you know, bare minimum is also we should never lose to Grenada to, you know, ever. So four points is my minimum. I would like six, though. We play well and we are competitive and we continue onward. That is my, I, I'm, I'm almost never going to walk into a window, I think, looking at points. I want to see the players put their all onto the field. I want to see them trying new things and working well with each other and continuing to put in everything that they got and see those, see like what we can do as a, as a nation. I mean, that it's eerily like something Greg Berhalter would say. Yeah. <laughs> I'm interested to hear what you guys think about the striker rotation as to who should play the Grenada match because I feel like, you know, there's this interesting situation where El Salvador is the better team on a better playing surface um, and you might want to put your starter in there. But sensibly, the person who plays against Grenada should be expected to pour in goals. Um, it's a confidence-building game. And does that sort of affect your decision making? Um, last time we played Grenada, notably uh, uh, low scoring Jesus Ferreira poured in four. Um, so there is an opportunity here to raise someone's confidence. Is that Ricardo Pepe who needs that? Or do you go with Daryl DK because he's the more physical person in the tropical environment? I mean, if I'm if I'm going on that approach, I'm putting Pepe in the confidence builder game and Daryl DK in the the more difficult game. I also think there's a common misconception that Daryl DK is the better player in the air, where he is good with his head, but he's really great with his feet. Like he mm-hmm. has fast feet, he has technical ability. Um, so I'm not I'm not going to look at a game with a bad surface and think you know whoever's better in the air, I'm going to put in there, and that's 
always going to be Daryl DK. I actually think Pepe has some really good skill in the air with this head. Uh, maybe over and above Daryl DK, or maybe in a different way. Ellie, who are you starting the Grenada match or El Salvador match? I think I'm starting Daryl TK and El Salvador and um, Pe Pepe in Grenada. I think the Jell are right. I think that Pepe could use the confidence booster. Um, I think Daryl DK has been playing so well. I think putting him in the tougher match is almost going to be a confidence booster for him. Um, and I, I think that he'll do well um, against a harder team. I think he'll show out. And so I think that Pepe could really use that little boost. Um, he is, I believe, just coming off of injury um rather recently or something's am i wrong i'm not sure I, I i don't know it's been a while since i've been sort of really plugged into grunigan but i think he's been playing 90 for at least a month and a half or a month and a half okay um but seeing him i think i think giving him that confidence and then letting him go back to his club and take that with him and let him continue to grow and hopefully put him on that that forward tra trajectory for a you know continuing to succeed and hopefully come back again so awesome all right well we have those competitive matches to look forward to we talked about so much stuff on this episode um thanks everyone for listening and joining us let's do some last words tom what's your last word this week um oh, last word this week is you know and oh um let's go with i'm um, enjoy warmer weather coming soon and enjoy um more soccer getting started you know we've got mls starting up find your lower league club you got usl already going usl league one started this weekend nisa starts back on april 1st delhi um get out enjoy some good weather go to a few soccer matches and get ready to support some teams as the american season ramps up yeah ellie what's your last word i think i have two um first off be nice to each other be kind Make someone smile this week. Why not? Right? Does it hurt anyone to if you make someone smile? So make someone smile this week. Um, and I think my second one is just kicking off for Thomas's. Support your lower league soccer teams, y'all. April 1st is the start of the NISA season. Go out and find your USL league team. Go out and find your NISA league team. Your Everyone, go find a team close to home and support them. You will absolutely not regret it. And if you need to find a team close to home, we'll ask you to reach out and I will help personally help you find your closest lower league team. We need to support lower league fuckers. Direct from the capo of Chattanooga FC. Um, my last word is just thanks everyone for, for bearing with me while I was taking a little break for a few weeks and I'm getting to spend some time with my baby son I've really appreciated it um, you guys had an awesome episode last week but I'm happy to be back talking about more US soccer hope you enjoyed this episode make sure to like the video so more people can find it subscribe to the channel if you are not more us soccer if you are listening to this wherever you get your podcast please leave a positive review as it helps immensely to spread this to more people thanks everyone and we'll see you next time when it's called soccer peace these days work is in trouble we've outsourced most of our manufacturing to other countries and with that we sent away good jobs and our capability to make things American Giant is a clothing company that's pushing back against this tide. They make all kinds of high-quality clothing and activewear, like sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more, right here in the USA. So when you buy American Giant, 
you create jobs in towns and cities across the country. And jobs bring pride. Purpose. They stitch people together. If all that sounds good to you, visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com with promo code STAPLE20.